Hey, Trojan fans, get ready for the Trojan Blast podcast. The Trojan Blast is like our regular hairstyle podcast with a little twist. You can download all of our podcasts 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Trojan Blast podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hey, Trojan fans, welcome to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast, Trojan Blast edition. We're talking USC football recruiting with our resident expert, Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, national recruiting analyst. Hey, Gerard, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing well. The, uh, the weather is brighter in Southern California. We had uh, some June gloom before we even got to June, so it's nice to see the sun out. And uh, reminds you of summer, and it's going to be a busy summer. So uh, we'll kind of see how it all plays out. I think uh, USC could be in the run for a very nice June. Very nice June. All right. Some early predictions there. Well, we have a lot of questions, Gerard. And um, it, it's funny, and this is just something I noticed before we jump into the questions. It seems like right now, and I don't know if it's just because of the scholarship limitations with the sanctions, but it seems like every time an offer goes out, there's people, Trojan fans on the Peristyle are questioning <laughs> the offer. Like, it's, it's really like they're not sure that, wait, that kid, should he have an offer? It's there's a lot of the the recruiting's going well. I think the you got to give you take your hats off to Lane Kiffin and staff, but there's a lot more scrutiny now just because there's not as many scholarships to go out. People are worried about not having enough of this position or this guy should have an offer or not this one. You know what I'm talking about? Exactly. I mean, the minute you started even getting into that question in that that uh, comment, I felt like I knew where you're going with it because <laughs> it's something that you see on the Peristyle, you know, every day when and USC gave out about six, seven offers just this last week. Um, you know, the coach has been on the road. They've been uh, evaluating various parts of the country, and they were able to get back to the office and kind of go over some of the material and the evaluation um, film that they're able to collect on the road and bring it back to the office for Lane Kiffin. You know, Lane Kiffin, head coaches can't go on the road for May evaluation. So it's basically all the assistant coaches that are out, and at some point they kind of have to regroup and kind of go over what they've seen. And so they did that, and you had quite a few offers go out. And obviously, you know, there's some, some, some question marks over certain offers. And people are always trying to see, you know, what is the end game? What is the class looking like based on the offers and the moves that are being made immediately? And it's tough to do that. You're not necessarily always going to know what 10 moves down the road are from one move here in May. So, a lot of people get a little nervous. You know, I know that there was a uh, a big uh, kind of stir, a, a few different posts that popped up. Uh, Brandon Coblano, who's a, uh, a, a 6'3", 290-pound center from Georgia, Marietta, Georgia, uh, four-star player, really highly ranked, really highly thought of in the South, uh, but an interior lineman that USC offered just Friday. And, of course, there's a lot of people that like what they hear about Khalil Rogers, who's, you know, a good 6'3", 315, 320-pound offensive lineman uh, from Maryland who is the teammate of Kenny Bigelow and David Sills. So you have him there, and obviously he's uh, kind of maybe a part of that recruiting class from back east. Everybody really is nervous about Kenny Bigelow because he is one of the best players in the country, and you have him kind of dangling out there on the east coast, and a lot of NFC fans would love to kind of reinforce um, you know, his recruitment and his commitment with a commitment and an offer to Khalil Rogers. So that's kind of where that's one of those things that, you know, people see that Cobano now has an offer and they're going, well, wait a second, why are we offering an interior lineman when we've got this guy out here who loves USC, he's already been here unofficially, he probably would commit to USC if he got an offer, and he's the teammate of this five-star defensive tackle, which, by the way, we need a defensive tackle really, really bad. So why don't we just sure up that recruitment uh, with an offer to Khalil Rogers and just kind of get that done and not go down to Georgia and offer Cubano. But at the end of the day, you know, these things have nuances. There's a lot of different complexities and contexts to each recruitment. I think the one thing about Cubano is that, A, he's a center. He's a true center prospect. And we saw USC at the, at last year kind of down the stretch look at a few different centers. I and mean, they didn't pull the trigger on anybody um they liked uh, you know they really liked isaac suamalo uh from oregon but you know his dad was at oregon state he ended up committing and signing with oregon state 
And then there was a few other guys that floated around, and there was some talk of offering. Uh, but then at the end of the day, they really didn't get a guy that was a true center. So maybe they're still looking for that true center. Kalano could be that guy. He is a true center. But then also you're looking at a guy that not likely going to commit to USC uh, maybe ever, but certainly not in the the, the short term. Uh, Clubano was a guy that's got you know some SEC offers. He's looking at LSU. He's got Bama. You know his his uh, teammate, uh, at running back Tyron Jones, who's one of the top running backs in Georgia, is already committed to Alabama. So UNC can throw that offer at a guy like Clubano. Not going to make a much of an immediate impact. Not going to be something all of a sudden they've got to go. Okay, wait, we got to look at our class now. If this guy commits right away. You know, how's that going to affect our offensive line class? That's not going to happen. If they offered Cleo Rogers, that may happen because Cleo Rogers has been out here, loves L.A., like I said, teammate of uh, Kenny Bigelow and David Sills. You know, that would be something that if they offered him, they'd have to be prepared to take his commitment right away, and then they'd have to kind of sort out the offensive line class because obviously that offensive line, we've talked about it time and time again this year in various features that we put up on the site, USC needs some left tackles. They need some true offensive tackles in this class, and that's really where you know the, the majority of offers really need to be, and that's kind of the, the money position for them on the offensive line this year. It's not going to be interior. They've got some guys that can play guard. They've got some guys that can play center, too. You know, Cobano, one of the best this year. I think it was just one of those things where they saw a really good player. They knew he wasn't going to commit right away, so they said, you know what, let's just put an offer, maybe get our foot in the door. Maybe he visits sometime during the year, you know, after the season. We never know how things are going to shake out and let's just kind of play it that way. I don't think it was one of those things like, hey, we really want Brian Cublano or Brandon Cublano right now. You know, let's offer him and see if he commits. That, that wasn't what was going on. If, if they did that with uh, Khalil Rogers, they'd have to be prepared to take that commitment. So kind of a, a, a different, a different you know, apples and oranges. I, I hate to use that phrase because everybody in the peristyle hates that phrase because it's <laughs> <laughs> used to talk about, uh, you know, the investigations from school to school um, with USC and sanctions. But it is kind of one of those things that it's, it's – you know, they're, 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 I know they're two interior offensive linemen, but their recruitments are very different, and there's a lot of different context that goes around them, and that's kind of how USC approached it. So we had uh, Alan, J.D. from D.C., and Kevin in the O.C. all asking questions about that, especially, uh, I mean, they, they, they kind of want to look at it as an insurance policy where David Sills, Kenny Bigelow, you know, this kid really wants to be a Trojan. Why don't you wrap him up? And it, there's, But th- th- people are still asking. We get questions about that every week. I mean, do you think he's going to eventually get an offer? Or they're just waiting or what do you think is going to happen? It's tough to really, to, to really know. I, I mean, there, there've been plenty of opportunities. I think that, uh, you know, he's been very good. And we're talking about clear Rogers here. He's been very, very good in the camp circuit. He's been dominant. Now we're going to really, really get to see how good he is at the rivals, rivals five-star challenge in Atlanta this summer. That's when you're really going to see him go against guys nationally that are good offensive linemen. He's done well against some guys regionally in the Northeast, but we really want to see him on a national level. And if he's able to be good there, then you start to go, okay, there's more reason for USC to go after him. He's not you know, just a guard prospect. He might be one of the best guard prospects in the nation. And when you're talking about best of the best, you know, then, then you kind of have to start to reevaluate you know, where you are class-wise with numbers. Um, but again, you know, USC, they, they want those offensive tackles. The problem is it's not like there's a ton of left tackles out there this year that USC could possibly get. Uh, there's a handful of guys, and there's only a few guys they really have a legitimate shot at. And so you kind of have to be you, – you kind of go, okay, are they going to be able to get two guys that are going to be offensive tackles in this class? I don't know if that's even possible because they're just the majority of guys are, are guys like Laramie Tunsil who are from Lake City, uh, Columbia High School out there in, in Florida, and those guys have already kind of tried to eliminate USC. I mean, he's down to like his top five, and, um, you know, these, these things kind of change. You know, he, he narrows it down to top five, and all of a sudden the kid wants to take visits and pops up at USC, you know, in November. It happens, December, it happens. But right now he's already kind of eliminated USC, and, you know, he's looking at Bama and LSU and Florida and, you know, the schools that are local. So you're looking at the guys that are legitimate tackle prospects, and they're few and far between. So then you have to start going, okay, if there's a guy that's just an offensive lineman who's that good, then maybe we have to go after him, you know, regardless of whether he's playing inside or outside. We just need to get a really good offensive lineman. Because the problem that USC had, the reason they got into a kind of a, a situation with the offensive line depth-wise, you know, going into the Lane Kiffin era, is because Pete Carroll was just 
a little too cautious and a little bit too stingy with scholarship offers on the offensive line. You know, they were looking for first-round picks every which way, and it was like, if it's not Tyron Smith and Matt Khalil, then we're going to hold off and not offer. And you just you need bodies on that offensive line sometimes. You just need good, solid players. And USC did less with more last year. They're going to probably do less with more this year, and it's just a matter of coaching. And if you get top guys, regardless of what specific position they're playing, uh, you're still going to be pretty good. And so, you know, they, they just don't want to get to that point where you're just being too stingy and you're like, okay, we, we, we're only going to offer two left tackles. If we don't see two left tackles in this class, then we're not going to take any offensive linemen. You can't do that. You can't do that, especially with the limited scholarships overall because, you know, you, you miss on a guy – it's that it's that much more of an issue. So you've got to have some redundancy on the offensive line. You got to recruit some more depth, and that may mean going after a guy like Claire Rogers. But to say, you know, I think they are going to offer him, or no, I don't think they're going to offer him. It, man, I don't know. It's tough. We're just going to have to see how it all plays out, um, especially with the camps coming up in in early June. They'll have the lineman camp, and then late June they have the Rising Stars camp, and there the 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 the, the, the coaching staff will be able to assess the offensive line position, you know, regionally and locally as a whole, make sure they're not missing anybody, making sure that, uh, you know, they, they, they get some guys that uh, they feel are good guys and can, can contribute to the program and then offer those guys. If those guys don't exist, then you start going, okay, we need to open it up across the board. And that's maybe where Clear Rogers gets another look. Okay. Uh, hopefully that answered everyone's questions on Rogers because we did have a, a lot of people asking questions on that. Let's go to Theo. He said, Priest Willis recently said he had interest in Nebraska due in large part to a defensive back by the name of Prince uh, being sent to the NFL. I don't think anyone has told him yet, but the coach who trained him is now a DB coach for USC. I think he's talking about Marvin Sanders, uh, who was there two years ago. When do you think he will figure this out? Fight on from Theo. Well, he'll figure it out when USC tells him, probably. Um, I, you know, his stepdad, Mike Walker, actually has some ties to Nebraska as well. And so, um, you know, it's that point in the process where I'm sure that, you know, uh, you know, Priest Willis is just associating the position with some good players and some guys that have, uh, that have graduated from Nebraska. Uh, but it's, it's not going to be, you know, the end-all, be-all his recruitment. Um, I think with, uh, with Priest Willis, early on, it, it still looks like it's a LSU – USC kind of battle. Um, I think Priest himself really, really likes USC. And there was some talk that he would come into USC almost right away. When he got offered, um, it was kind of an interesting thing because, you know, his, his stepdad was not able to go on the unofficial visit with him when he was offered a scholarship. And, you know, he had a funeral, so he was out of town. And so, you know, Priest Willis at that point, if he kind of had the blessing of his stepfather, maybe they both get caught up in the moment. He may be a Trojan already. You know, he may have already committed on the spot. Uh, but because his family wasn't with him, he just kind of came out by himself. Uh, he decided to kind of slow his roll a little bit and, uh, and and not make any kind of commitments. And now he says, you know, he's pretty much going to allow the process to play out. He's going to take some official visits, and we'll see how that goes. I mean, I think that um, USC is definitely going to be there for him. They're going to be a player. Um, you know, Marvin Sanders is going to be a big deal in his recruitment, and that's going to come up. I mean, that's that's not even anything to worry about. When that conversation happens and they sit down and they talk about, you know, the defensive backfield that Nebraska had under Marvin Sanders, um, you know that all those all those names, all the guys that he's coached, you know, whether it be in Nebraska or, or other places, will definitely pop up. All right, we got kind of a technical question about recruiting from Bill in Chicago. Uh, voicemail question. I'll play that for you. Talking about official and unofficial visits. Yes. Good morning, Professor Abraham. This is Bill from Chicago, and I had two questions I wanted to ask. One relates to the difference between a recruit having an official visit or simply visiting. Why the big distinction? It's not because, you know, the recruit's getting his way paid to visit. Is it just the uh, royalty of the reception? Or who cares if a recruit is having an official visit just so he shows up and meets the people and checks out the facilities and so forth? My second question relates to red shirts. When a player redshirts, is he allowed to practice with the team or engage in any kind of team activities? How does a redshirt uh, continue to improve his football skills? Or does he just sit around and muscle up? Just curious about those two items. Thanks, Ryan. Enjoy the heck out of your show. 
listen to your podcast faithfully every week. Fight on, buddy. Okay, last question first. Uh, redshirt, uh, whether you're a redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, regardless, you're able to be a part of the football program. You're going to be able to practice. Uh, the main distinction is that you cannot play on Saturdays. You cannot play in the games. That's the only distinction between a redshirt and a regular player. It's different than you know being a walk-on or a gray shirt. A gray shirt, you would actually have to uh, kind of be away from the football team. You couldn't participate in any practices or any team workouts. Uh, but in a red shirt, you can. So you're there the whole time, basically. You're just standing on the sidelines and not playing in the game. But everything up to that point, you're able to be involved with. Um, the first question uh, about uh, official visits and unofficial visits, the, the big distinction is really the financial aspect of it because the school is allowed to pay for everything. They are allowed to pay for the kid to come out. They are you know, able to house him. They're able to feed him. And obviously everything is able to – they're able to present this picture uh, that is an official picture of the school. So from you know, dining to housing to everything, it's like this is the school. This is the first-class treatment of this school. Um, and it's also a 48-hour period where an unofficial visit is however long the kid wants to stay there, wants to you know, be around or on campus. You know, with an official visit, um, they can stay on campus for a full 48 hours. They get you know, all of the exposure to the coaches and the players that they want. Um, the coaches are able to take them around, uh, be able to be on campus, with them, you know, with them in the locker rooms and show them the football aspect of things, but they're able to also take them off campus. And some coaches take uh, recruits to their houses and they have dinner and they meet their families. Um, so there's a lot of those other things that are involved that you usually don't have from an unofficial standpoint. So the official visit is literally that official event held by the school. Um, they welcome that recruit in, and everybody's on the same page. Everybody, you know, from the professors to the counselors um, to the, uh, you know, to the, to, the, to the school president. And although I will say this, and this is kind of shows you how on top of things USC is, uh, you know, Ty Isaac, uh, the four-star running back uh, from Juliet, Illinois, came out for his second unofficial visit uh, to USC last weekend. And, uh, you know, Ty Isaac actually had an opportunity to meet Max Nikias. He, he met Pat Hayden. Um, there was a lot of activities and things that were lined up for him. Obviously, the school can't necessarily pay for him to go through those things in terms of, hey, you know, if you're hungry, we'll go take you out to eat. Can't really do that. You know, they, they, the kid has to be able to pay uh, for his own meals and everything. But uh, from a from a standpoint of organization and getting him to see the university as a whole and meet different people and everything, USC had that lined up to a T, and they did a really good job. And evidently, from what I hear, impressed his mother, who also made the trip with him. So, you know, a good school like USC, they make that unofficial visit as official as they can without necessarily paying for any of the events or the activities uh, that the that the kid is able to go through. All right, uh, let's move on to a question from West. David Sills famously committed to USC in middle school, at which point his future capabilities were being projected. Has Sills truly developed into a USC-caliber quarterback? It sounds like he has. We have yet to see him in person, so it's more of a tape and you know, kind of hearsay uh, evaluation of him. Um, but, you know, we've seen some video and uh, we've, we've heard, you know, him at camps this past uh, spring has done very well, has looked really good. I think more importantly than, than maybe anything, uh, when you're talking about a middle school quarterback, really the question is how does he develop physically? Because when you offer a guy that early on, sometimes these guys are just peak physically and that's why they're that much better than the players around them at that point. And so, you know, that's kind of the thing you cross your fingers on a lot. And it sounds like, they, you know, David Seals gotten a lot taller. He's gotten stronger. Um, you know, the, the, the fundamental aspects of the game have obviously improved because he's learned more. You know, he's been able to get more reps and get more reps against better players as he's gone on. Um, so, you know, as a whole right now, it sounds like David Seals is going to be a guy that, you know, it's still very early in the process, but is, is a five-star potential type player. So, you know, we'll see. 2015, 
he's still got a couple of years here before we really get to see him, you know, with the best players of that class because the best players of that class have yet to be identified really. Um, there's very few of those guys. But, you know, when we see those guys start to get into their, you know, their, their, into their sophomore, junior year, um, that's when we'll see, you know, how legit they really are. But at this point, it definitely seems like he has developed, he has gotten better, and is on schedule to definitely be a USC-level quarterback. Okay, uh, let's go to Paul. He says, having watched Path to the Draft faithfully, uh, the big question for NFL picks is taking uh, for need or taking the best player on the board. Since we have such limits currently, do you have any feeling on which philosophy our coaches are adopting? That's Paul in Las Vegas. Well, because it's recruiting and not drafting, it changes from position to position. And that kind of goes with what I was saying about Khalil Rogers, um, the offensive line position. You know, at some point, you know, USC right now, they're recruiting for need. They have to try to find an offensive tackle. And they need to find a guy that they feel like can play left tackle, contribute at tackle. But at what, at what point do you realize, okay, we're not going to get two of those guys? We're just, you know, we're, we may get one. There may be a guy that pops up locally that we feel could definitely play, you know, offensive line. Um, you know, they've offered Nico Fala, and that's going to be a guy that they go on hard. But, you know, UCLA is going to be good with him. Um, you know, there's guys like uh, Logan Tony Tillman who are already committed to Michigan who are offensive tackle prospects. But, obviously, he's already committed to Michigan, so that makes it a little difficult to go after him. Um, there's, there's a few guys out there, but – the chances that they have of getting two of those guys that are offensive tackles may be pretty low. So at that point, that second offensive lineman spot, you start to go, okay, we just need to get the best player we can. And so it goes from recruiting for need to we can need all we want. We still need to have some numbers on the offensive line. Let's just go get the best player we can. And maybe that's where a guy like Clue Rogers uh, gets a scholarship offer because while he's a guard, he may be one of the best guard you know, players in the country, maybe one of the best guards that have come out of his region for quite some time. And, again, there's that extra value of having him be a teammate of Kenny Bigelow and David Seals, and you solidify that little, that little circle of Trojans out there in, you know, uh, in, in, Washington, or, uh, in Maryland uh, more you know, with, with, the, with, with another offer and another commitment at that school. Okay, uh, let's move on. We had a couple questions about uh, the transfer and news about T. Shepard uh, leaving Notre Dame. Here's uh, the first voicemail question on that. Hi, guys. It's Amir from Sherman Oaks. I had a couple questions on the recruiting side. Uh, first one was it looks like uh, USC is going to be making a decision here on T. Shepard uh, within the week, and I want to see how that affects the recruiting of DBs on this current class, um, i.e., um, I would assume that it would that they would take fewer defensive backs uh, in this class, and also kind of how you rate T. Shepard to a few of the cornerbacks that we're currently uh, taking a look at, um, trying to get. Um, and so, if I could get that question answered, I'd greatly appreciate it. Your show is awesome. Uh, another quick question I had was if you could just quickly go through a few of the dates for the more notable guys who are making decisions in terms of uh, when to announce. So essentially just some announcement dates on some guys that are heavily looking at SC. Thanks so much. Awesome job. Fight on. Well, with T. Shepard, uh, haven't really heard anything new from him. I mean, we know that he wants to transfer to USC uh, and the ball has been in USC's court from the begin with, but it's not necessarily uh, – there's been no indication what USC really wants to do. As you stated, they don't have many rides, and if you bring in T. Shepard, then you lose one of those early enrollment ride, uh, rides. Uh, most likely, I, I think that – we've talked about this before. There is some flexibility with that. They might be able to roll him over to the 2013 class, and not have him part of the 2012 class, we get to check on that because I'm not really sure that by the time he enrolls, if he was to enroll, if, if, if things have changed thus far because it's after April and there's kind of a date there um, that, that the class kind of officially changes as far as when you enroll. Um, but it would be, nonetheless, one taken off of that 75. USC, they, they definitely don't have a lot of quality depth 
at uh, cornerback right now. You know, they've got quite a few guys that have either been injured in the past or uh, guys that just really haven't played a whole lot and uh, improving themselves uh, from that standpoint. So, you know, I can see there being some temptation. T. Shepard is definitely a quality player. He's definitely a talented player. But, you know, the off-the-field issues, and by off-the-field issues, I don't even mean any kind of character issues. I just mean the fact that he went all over the place with his recruitment and kind of had USC dangling there at the end of the recruiting process and ended up going kind of seemed like back and forth. Oh, I might go to USC. I might go to Notre Dame and ended up going to Notre Dame, leaves USC hanging. And then he's at Notre Dame for, I don't know what, two, three months and then ends up uh, transferring out. And there was a lot of talk as to, you know, why he transferred out and, and a lot of rumors, um, you know, some sources have, have indicated that he just, he was flat out flunking school. So there's a lot of questions there with, with T Martin or excuse me, T Shepard. I know a lot of people make that. Uh, <laughs> we can't wait till T Shepard actually ends up somewhere. So we're not talking <laughs> about T Shepard as much uh, and, and mixing him up with T. Martin when we're talking about him. Uh, but uh, with, with T. Shepard, there's definitely that, that aspect of talent that you could just you know bring him into the program. I'm not necessarily even sure whether he'd be able to play right away. Um, that's another question. Um, would he be able to, to – does he have to sit out this next year or does he play right away? If he has to sit out next year, then that – you know, again, that's something else that you have to consider if you're USC, and, and you start to compare him more with the 2013 class and some of the, the quarterbacks that you have. You start comparing him with Priest Willis. You have to compare him with Chris Hawkins, who's already committed. You have to compare him with a guy with maybe uh, Vernon Hargraves. Um, and, and I think in that aspect, I say, you know, you kind of try to go for the future, and I think you have to, uh, you know, you, you maintain the commitment of Chris Hawkins, and you keep going after Priest Willis, and you, and you try to get that 2013 uh, recruit. Um, um, but uh, but what what the latest on him is right now? It's it's really USC. They're they're thinking about it. You know they're probably looking at the numbers. They're trying to probably do some digging into his background and what really happened at Notre Dame. Why did he leave Notre Dame? Um, and, and making sure that he's a, a guy that would be a viable asset to the program uh, in the future. Um, just not on the field but off the field as well. Making sure that he's going to be low maintenance because they cannot take a guy that's going to end up you know, falling through the cracks some point, whether it be because of grades or be because of some other reason. Um, the other question, which I forgot already. Decision dates, like any decision. Like we know uh, Justin oh, Davis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like May 17th um, We Justin got uh, Justin Davis is next Thursday, May 17th. Um, uh, Sue Cravens, uh, five-star safety, is going to be June 6th. And then Michael Hutchings will be probably – fairly soon after that could be maybe be at a camp or something he hasn't given a specific date uh but talking uh, to him he's definitely ready to make a decision pretty soon so uh, those are the three guys that are kind of uh, on approach uh, uh that usc fans uh, definitely have to keep an eye on um you know daryl daniels who's a uh, 6'4 205 pound receiver uh, from oakley california just got a scholarship offer from usc friday is another guy that kind of have to keep an eye on because he's talked about usc glowingly he's very tight with michael hutchings um they've been playing you know basically football together i think since eighth grade and um so that's a guy that you know with one more basically scholarship spot at the receiver position now that they also have eldrick massington something else that happened uh basically during the weekend um six three two hundred pound uh, wide receiver from mesquite texas uh, who uh, ran a win-aided uh, 10-5-2 this past spring. Uh, a lot of people think he can dip into the 10-4s. Uh, he just committed to USC. So USC's really looking for one more receiver. And you would think maybe they'd go after uh, another speed guy, a Robert Woods-type guy. Uh, but they did offer Daryl Daniels, who's one of those bigger receivers, uh, more of the Mike Williams-type receiver, who's a guy that you're not really going to stretch the field with, uh, but can run pretty well after he catches the ball and has definitely got a big enough body where you can kind of use him on those quick slants and those underneath routes. He's a guy that's, you know, really liked USC, kind of was waiting for that USC offer. So we'll see how that goes right now. He's not talking about committing anytime soon, but that can always change, especially you know if Michael Hutchings, the linebacker from Concord de la Salle, makes a decision in June too. Well, we got you hit on a bunch of different future questions for that. There was that's what I'm doing, man. I'm trying to anticipate the questions. <laughs> it's, it's, it's even it's beyond rapid fire. You got me scrambled. Well, let's go back to defensive backs for a little bit, and then we'll get back to receivers. Um, JD and DC wanted to know: Have Mackenzie Alexander and Vernon Hargraves, arguably the Two USC cornerback targets, highly ranked as 2013 as Shepard was in 2012, shown any indication that they would officially visit USC? Um, Vernon Hargraves will. That's that's already pretty much been stated by his family and by him that USC will be one of his official visits. 
Um, and USC has a good shot at him. I think Florida is another school. His sister goes to Florida, and that's going to be a school that he looks at uh, pretty hard. But, you know, dad is an NFL – or excuse me, dad has been a college coach for many years, coached at Miami for many years. He's at USF right now. He understands the process. They're going to play the process through. They're going to do – their research. Uh, his, he's got a really good family behind him, a lot of support, and so they're going to look at every school, and uh, USC will be one of those schools. Mackenzie Alexander is going to be here unofficially. He says he's going to come out to the Rising Stars camp. We'll see how that goes. You know, I talked to Mackenzie uh, quite a bit when we were in San Antonio for the Army uh, underclassmen combine, and we just kind of hung out. He was a guy that just impressed me. Just, I mean, he just walking through the door. I just looked at him and go, oh, "That guy, that guy, he's gonna, he's gonna be good tomorrow." <laughs> we were watching. We were just there for junior registration, and it turned out he was good and uh, was calling out people, was cutting in line. He got so many reps, Ryan. We need to get that Army underclassmen combine video up. Okay? okay. We got a bunch of clips from the underclassmen uh, combine. We got stuff of Daryl Daniels. We got stuff of Robert Foster, who we don't talk about very much, who nobody really talks about very much. He's been real quiet during the recruiting process, but he's a 6'3", 180-pound uh, receiver from Monica, uh, I think Central High School in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, one of the best receivers I've ever seen at the Army underclassmen combine. The guy was really, really good. And, uh, and, and, you know, Mackenzie Alexander and, and Robert Foster, uh, they tangled. And uh, there's a couple of reps of those two guys going at each other. So, um, you know, Mackenzie Alexander, the one thing hanging out with him and talking with him, he said right off the bat, because I asked him about USC, because I knew USC would be offering him. This is a guy that USC is going to offer. You could just tell kind of from the get-go. He wanted to stay in Florida. He said, I'm really trying to stay in state. I really don't want to go that far away from home. He ended up committing to Tennessee early in the process, and now he's decommitted, and my vibe is that he's probably going to end up at Florida State or Miami and just stay home. He's a really good player. He's a really, really good cornerback, and I think he's just going to be a tough guy to get away from, from South Florida uh, for USC. I think Vernon Hargraves, they've got a much better shot with him. Okay. Uh, let's stay one more defensive back question. Notice how Ryan said nothing about that tape. That hey, Gerard. Ryan. That is Miguel. got a question for Gerard. I need to know, is Gerald Bowman that good? Um, he was supposed to be an early enrollee for last year's class, didn't qualify. Basically cost us a scholarship for this year, which could have been instead of three early enrollees, we could have had four. Um, is he really this good, you know, for him to cost us a scholarship? Um, I think he should, uh, you know, if he's worth it, you know, us losing a scholarship, he should play like, Taylor Mays or Troy Palomalo. Um, not convinced. Uh, hopefully he is. Thank you very much, and fight on. Okay, first and foremost, Miguel interrupted me because I was trying to talk about you getting some Army underclassmen combine film up. Yeah, what's your, what's your calling me out? Miguel just, interrupted me, and then Miguel was talking about something. I don't even know what he's talking about. We, we Somehow USC could have got another early enrollee. How is this possible, Ryan? What What is Miguel talking about? I think Miguel is saying that, is Gerald Bowman good enough to take a scholarship? He was supposed to be an early enrollee. for He would have counted for 2011. Instead, he's counting towards 2012, meaning that, if he counted towards 2011, then he, you know, they wouldn't have had to use a. They would have four early enrollees instead of three. That's, I think, basically what he's saying there. And he's good but enough. I think that would have been that. That would have that would have caused uh, Joshua Shaw to have to go over to the 2012 class. Correct? Wouldn't that I think have, so. Like yeah. So Shaw counted towards yeah. Shaw counted towards 11. Or I don't even know if it could have happened. I think Shaw had to count because he came in. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to go back over this stuff. <laughs> it, it, it ended up working itself out. Uh, but, you know, the, the simple question or the simple answer to the question is, of course, because USC still took them. So, you know, I, I know that the coaches loved Gerald Bowman. When they saw him in person and they saw him on film, they feel like he's a very big part of that safety class because he's a guy that should be able physically and mature-wise right in when you lose, you know, T.J. McDonald and you lose, uh, you know, J Jawanza Starling and Drew McAllister. And so, you know, there was a lot of questions about that because, you know, there was, oh, you know, he's going to be an early enrollee, he's a big deal, we got to have these early enrollees. And that was the same thing with T. Shepard towards the end of his recruitment because he was an early enrollee. And those, those, those guys were gold, you know, just getting those guys an early enrollee. But unfortunately, uh, Bowman was not able to complete all of his winter session classes 
And so now he's not going to enroll probably till June. But the fact that USC decided, you know what, he's, he's too good to let go, kind of says everything you need to know uh, about Jared Bowman. I mean, they could have very easily said, listen, you had a scholarship offer for getting in at this point in time, and now you can't. That scholarship offer does not exist anymore. They could have done that. They would have been uh, justified in doing that. But they didn't. They decided to hang with him. They feel like he's a good enough player to stick with him. And, uh, again, he's one of those guys that, you know, he's older, he's more mature uh, physically and mentally. You know, maybe it's more of a, a seamless transition uh, when you lose um, these, these upperclassmen that they're going to lose at safety after the season. Uh, you know, what? I forgot. It was Isaiah Wiley that ended up counting towards people thought he, would count, he counted for the right, year earlier. Yeah. So he came in and like took a class, and there was a he couldn't have counted towards both. Uh, he was gonna he had to count for the previous class. So I think that was the, but it did like you said it did work itself out. The numbers were right, so I don't think you would have seen an extra early enrollee for that. And I think people will like seeing Gerald Bowman on the field when he gets out there. Um, let's go to Terry in Los Angeles. He's he said I wasn't really sure about Kamara until I saw the tape. I didn't realize he's bigger than I thought. His upper body needs work but his lower body is really nice. He puts stallion-like in parentheses. He looks explosive. I noticed he can run routes and catch really well also. I thought he was a scat-back type, but the tape totally changed my opinion of him. I'm really high on this guy now. SC has to pull this guy. Could possibly be another Reggie Bush. Do you and Gerard see the same thing? I'm a huge fan of Alvin Kamara. Uh, He's definitely a guy that I was on early and just watching his film. You know, USC's looking for a finisher. They're looking for a guy that can take that ball 80 yards and score and not just take it 40 yards and get them in the red zone. And all of a sudden they have to worry about red zone offense. Uh, the issue is going to be, can they take three in this class now that it appears that uh, Ty Isaac is not going to be an early enrollee. Uh, Ty Isaac, uh, you know, the 6'3", 223-pound running back from Juliet. We talked about him a little bit already. Uh, he was a guy that was trying to get out early, that academically could have gotten out early. But Juliet Catholic, the school he goes to, has a policy against early enrollment. So it doesn't sound like they're going to change that policy, and it doesn't sound like Ty Isaac is going to transfer to another school. So basically it looks like Ty Isaac, is, if he becomes a part of USC's class, then he's going to, it's, it's basically going to be one of those things where he is going to be a part of that 2013 class and not an early enrollee. That gives them two running backs that are coming in for 2013 and nobody is getting in there for the spring uh, session. So uh, it, it sounds like it's going to be two and not three. And so then you're looking at Ty Isaac being more of the finisher, the guy that while he's 6'3", 223 pounds, and we've talked about this again many times on the Peristyle podcast and the Trojan Blast, he, while is tall and big, is not really a power back uh, per se. He's not a traditional guy in terms of his running style. Obviously, he has the body type, and, and that's what USC loves. They love that he's a big guy, and, and obviously you're going to try to tackle a big guy. It's you know, going to wear your defense down. But in terms of his style, he's not a square shoulders up and kind of run people over. Justin Davis is really is, is more of the power back. Justin is only about 200 pounds, 205 right now. And but while he's not as big weight wise and height wise, he is style wise more of a power back. He's the guy that's going to try to punish the defense more and and get kind of north and south more. Whereas Ty Isaac is a little more of a slasher. So Ty Isaac actually ends up being if you know he ends up committing USC and signing the finesse back, if you will, in the class. And I don't know if there's going to be a spot available for Alvin Kamara now. Like we talked about. There are, there are those situations that come up where all of a sudden you want to just take the best player and then position doesn't mean anything, need doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, if Alvin Kamara comes out on his unofficial visit, which I think is going to be May 28th, uh, his sister lives out here. If he loves USC and gives USC a, link, a wink and a nod, do they kind of put him on ice and have him go through the process and hope that, you know, he can kind of stick with USC as a sign of commitment, and then maybe they start to look at it in January and go, okay, let's evaluate our options here. Let's evaluate our 18. We, we see who we're going to get in early. And USC should be fine with their three early enrollees because they're going to have Max Brown as an early enrollee. He's ahead of schedule as far as being able to get out of school early. Chris Hawkins, early enrollee, he's ahead of schedule as far as being able to get out early. Um, you got uh, Kylie uh, Fitz the 6'3", 265-pound defensive tackle from Redlands East Valley High School, four-star Army All-American who's working to get out of school early, and Sue Cravens, 
um, who's this, the safety five-star, 6'1", 205 pounds, who's going to uh, make an announcement here in June, June 6th, he's working also to be an early enrollee. So you have some redundancy there. They're going to get their three early enrollees. They don't have to worry about a JC guy. It's not, you know, they've got two guys and a third one is like, we're not sure, and they're trying to get those early enrollees. They, they look like they're going to get their early enrollees in. So that's not going to be so much of an issue. So you're going to kind of look at that 15. You know, what 15 do we have? Where uh, do we have a need position that we just have to get somebody at? Or is it a need position that, you know what, we need somebody, but we need somebody good. And if we can't find somebody to our standard, maybe we go after Alvin Kamara because he's just too good of a player overall in the class to pass up. Yeah, maybe we don't really need to take three running backs in this class. Maybe we really don't want to take three running backs in this class because we've seen USC in the past stack the running back classes, and it kind of ends up being one of those things where it worked out with Reggie and Lindell and Chauncey Washington, mainly because Chauncey Washington redshirted and he had all those issues with staying qualified, and he, they were able to stagger that. But, you know, we also saw some classes with uh, you know, C.J. Gable and Stephon Johnson and Emmanuel Moody and all these guys, and it just was one of those things where the guys, you know, nobody was getting enough carries. You know, it was, there was not enough stagger there as far as playing time to where it stretched out and, and they were able to, to use all those guys uh, and, and get a good rotation going with running backs. Because, you know, running backs will tell you, they need some carries to kind of get going. And it seemed like USC, you know, they just kept putting in different guys here and there. And, you know, one game it would be this guy, and the next game it would be this guy. And nobody really got a feel to be the guy. And it seems like with this offense and the way that they run the ball now, that the success has come when they've been able to stick with a, you know, running back or two running backs. I said it before, would Curtis McNeil have had the season last year if other guys didn't get hurt? You know, I mean, they had, they had no choice but to stick with Curtis McNeil. And because they had to stick with Curtis McNeil, it gave him a chance to really show what he could do and he could get those reps and get hot and get into a groove. And he had a fantastic year. And now we're looking at Curtis McNeil like, oh, yeah, he's a starter. He's the guy. I mean, before last year, nobody was thinking he'd ever really be a starter at USC. So when you start taking three running backs, you wonder, okay, does that – does that actually hurt you more than help you? So, you know, there's a lot of those things, man. That's when you're in that war room as a coaching staff, you've got to sit here and pound out all these angles. And that's the one thing that Lane Kiffin, uh, more than anything when it comes to recruiting, he really, really sees those angles really well and makes good uh, projections with, you know, who is going to fit where personnel-wise. Well, on those lines, Kevin had a question. Um, you were talking about maybe taking three running backs. Kevin's question, even taking two wide receivers in this class because he thinks they should use the scholarships on positions of needs like offensive tackle, defensive end, or another DB. And he talks about some of the guys that USC missed on in 2010, safety and linebacker, 2011 missed on some defensive tackles, and then last year or in February missed on some offensive tackles. Do you think, he says, do you think what happened on signing day with Kyle Murphy, Andres Pete, Kyle Dudson, that the coaching staff would consider backup plans here and trying to get more of those positions of need? Well, you know, yes and, and no. I mean, do you, how do you get a backup plan for Kyle Murphy and Andres Pete? You know, isn't Kyle Murphy the backup plan for Andres Pete and Andres Pete is the backup plan for Kyle Murphy? You know, it's hard to have a, a really viable uh, a real viable backup plan for a five-star left tackle. <laughs> you know, the next guy on your board is probably not going to be anywhere near as good as that guy. And the same thing went for Ellis McCarthy. And that was why I was saying Ellis McCarthy was really the biggest, um, the biggest need guy, the, the, the biggest miss, the biggest this and biggest that, because, you know, he was the defensive tackle. He was the three technique of that 2012 class. There was no other guy on the board that you were going to be able to bring in and say, oh, we missed on Ellis McCarthy, but we got this guy. You know, I think SC fans like to talk like Leonard Williams is that guy, but truth be told right now, Leonard Williams is still a defensive end. You know, unless Leonard Williams comes into camp and all of a sudden he's 285, you know, he's got a ways to go before he's going to be that immediate three technique guy that's going to be able to be in that rotation for next year. And that's what USC needed. They lost two uh, good defensive tackles that were starters in uh, Christian Tupu and, um, and, and DeJon Harris. So you wanted them to have that three technique that could be a part of that rotation. They have some guys interior, you know, for the defensive line. They've got, you know, Uko coming back, who's going to be a good player for them. Um, you know, they got J.R. Uh, Tavai, who's going to be a good player for them. But you just would like a little more size and just another talented player that you could bring into that rotation a defensive tackle. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, it's hard to always have a plan B. 
but like I'm saying with, you know, the, the, the Alvin Kamara situation, you could have just a really good player that if you can get them to go through the process and lay low, you know, you might be able to have a plan B of sorts. Maybe it's not a plan B in that, you know, it's a left tackle and then you have another left tackle that's really good laying in the, the, the bushes. It's just another good player that you can kind of bring in and, and, you know, take over that spot because you're not able to bring in that big time left tackle. Um, but it's, it's real tough. I mean, everybody else, see, people, you have to remember every other school out there is also recruiting. <laughs> you know, it's just not <laughs> USC recruiting in a vacuum. You've got other schools. So they're, you know, they're trying to get guys and you start playing, still playing somebody and those other schools, UCLA, Washington, Florida, whoever it may be, is going to be in that kid's ear and saying, look at man, they don't really want you. You know, you're a plan B. You're, you're not the number one guy on their board. You come here, we really need you, we really want you, you're going to play right away. And that kid, nine times out of ten, is going to look at that other school and say, uh, I don't want anything to do with USC. So, you know, plan Bs, I think the big thing as far as strategy goes for USC, they have the De'Anthony Thomas rule where the last week of, uh, of official visits – if you're committed to USC, you can't take official visits other places. That's fine. I think that rule, quite frankly, needs to be stretched into the offseason, um, after the season. I think that USC would maybe be good just saying to other commits, look, it, you take your visits during the season and you go to your schools and do whatever, but after you know December or what have you, you're done. You're not taking official visits. That's, that, that, if you're committed to USC – and you're really strong, then you don't need to take visits in January to other schools. Because that's really where the, the moving and shaking happens. That's where, you know, and no, nobody's playing anymore, and these schools are able to do these little okey-dokes with all these weird little events that they have, and they do these things, and, you know, they're bringing in kids here, and, and these kids are recruiting against these kids, and it just becomes a complete cluster. And so and, and we, we see at the Army All-American Bowl every year, and it increases the intensity of how crazy and chaotic it gets. It's just every year it's, it's crazier. I mean, you know, we have Shaq Thompson, five-star safety, walk in and on cameras, busy telling people how USC is his leader. And we all knew that right away. And this is a PG-13 podcast. That was bullshit. I mean, the kid was immediately, just for hype's sake, talking about how he was going to go to USC. But they, everybody knew, everybody laughed at that when he said that. And then he got mad because SC fans called him out about it on Twitter. And then he dropped SC, ha-ha, and said, oh, I don't want to go to USC anymore because their fans don't show me enough love. And then he ends up going to Cal. So he goes to Cal and Tintosh Lapoy decides that he's going to go to Washington and take that job, and Shaq Thompson followed him there. So you can see where the strings were being pulled uh, in that little puppet show the whole time, and that's kind of how the process goes. And when you get into January, that's where you really start to see it get even crazier. So, you know, if I'm USC, I say, you know what, guys, you want to be committed? You know, that's fine. You need to take visits. Go and do that through the season. But when it comes to January – now, you can take as many unofficial visits to USC as you want to, but don't go to these other schools and listen to these other schools get in your ear about this stuff because we've got a limited number of scholarships, and we need to know who's with us and who's not with us. That makes sense, Gerard. We'll see if the uh, coaches do that. At least they're not, they're not allowing them to do that last week. Uh, like you call it, the Anthony Thomas rule. We'll see if they extend that this year. Uh, one last one. We've been. It's a long podcast, I know. Thanks for being on the whole time, and thanks for everyone for listening the whole time. But... Uh, JD in DC wants to know: Is D Hart from Alabama transferring to USC? Who knows? Um, <laughs> that would kind of be an interesting one. Um, you know, I've heard some talk about him leaving Alabama. Uh, people kind of bring up USC because that's a school that obviously could use running backs, and it's a big time school. And a lot of these kids, you know, that that's the first thing that comes out of their mind is, uh, "Hey, I want to go look at USC." I think even it's almost like the recruiting process. It, it kind of uh, resets for them. You know, we saw this with Matt Gar Max Garcia, uh, the offensive tackle from Maryland. You know, he started taking official visits after he left Maryland, uh, you know, for, for a transfer, and he's going to Florida. But he did take an unofficial out to USC, and you could see with quite a few transfers, especially if they're big-name guys coming out of high school who really – you know, haven't really done anything. There's another possible transfer out there, and we're not going to talk about it right now. Might be in the war room this week. That's looking to transfer uh, from the south, and USC's come up in conversation with him as well. So you know, you have that kid, you have D. Hart, you have T. Shepard. USC's a hot school right now. 
So you're seeing it with the 2013 class, but you're also seeing it with some of these kids uh, that are transferring. And, and, you know, D. Hart really never really looked at USC uh, the first time around uh, during the recruiting process. Um, but, you know, the thing you have to be cautious with, and this is, you know, this is probably maybe a little different than Josh Shaw, but it, it has to kind of go with Josh Shaw too. Kids that have all these different dramatic twists and turns through the recruiting process, you know, history has showed us that those guys don't usually pan out. And I don't know why, what it is. I don't know what's specific to, I mean, I don't know if it's just a, a disposition, you know, personality type thing, or uh, it's just because, you know, they don't really know what they want and they can't commit to anything. And that kind of goes spills over to the football field too. You know, you have to be pretty committed and dedicated uh, to that team and to what you're doing and buy into it uh, to be able to be a good player. Maybe they just don't buy into anything in life, but these guys who kind of float around and jump around all these different schools and stuff, you know, it just it seems like it doesn't work out for them, and they and they end up kind of washing out uh, to whatever school they end up at. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to Jordan Payton, who who ends up signing with UCLA after making four different commitments. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously, that's a that's a kind of a broad general statement, uh, and I don't want to stereotype you know every transfer because there are different you know conditions and there are different circumstances for each kid. But just in general, when you kind of look at kids who handle the recruiting process. And it seems to get away from them, and it seems to become this bigger-than-life thing where you know they're committing to one school every other week. Uh, those guys, it tends to just not work out for them in college. So we'll kind of see, you know. I mean, USC again, not just with the recruiting process in 2013, but even when you're talking about these transfers, they got to be very careful. <laughs> they can't miss on guys. And while it's great to get a player that can come in, and if he can play right away, like a Josh Shaw, I mean, that's instant depth. That's an, a guy that can instantly possibly contribute to the team at a position where you need some contribution. Uh, that's a big deal. It's, it's better than even just bringing in a, a good recruit because nine times out of ten that good recruit is just going to need a year or two to be able to kind of get the system and, and kind of acclimate himself to college football, uh, where these guys that can transfer right away, you know, they've been through some of those rigors already, so they don't have to worry about that so much. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. Thank you for coming on and sharing all the USC football inside information on USC recruiting. We really appreciate you coming on the show. It's always great. Thanks again. Thank you for having me, as always. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for staying with us. A over 50-minute podcast, not too bad. Lots of USC recruiting news right now. Obviously, we'll be back again next week, I'm sure, doing another Trojan Blast recruiting podcast. You can send your questions into podcast at uscfootball.com. If you want to follow Gerard on Twitter, gmartlive. And you want to follow me, Inside Troy. For Gerard Martinez, this is Ryan Abraham signing out. See you again next week. You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.